Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, whatever, girl. Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. You know what I do if I own a hockey team? This is the Press Box. I hire a sumo wrestler. With Grady and Bischoff. I'd give him a uniform, transportation, 500 bucks a week to sit in the goal, eat a ham sandwich, and enjoy the game. My team would never get scored on. On ESPN Las Vegas. We would get scored on constantly. Maybe, but we sell a few tickets. Well, we know who got scored on last night. ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM. Ending the week with Ed, Tyler, and Jared. Why not just do overreaction Friday and get right to it? The first bite. Are the Colorado Avalanche that much better than the Golden Knights? Should we just completely overact and say yes? The West is over. Let's it's do over. that. It's, it's over. over. It's over. How how can you? How do you think they'll oh. beat him again? It's just it was such a the King, man that was just domination. The Kings still need to get in a playoff spot. They're close. Uh, we don't want to talk about that right now. Uh, but thanks. Thanks for that reminder. Um, Jared, the Dodgers open next week. Yeah, that was a, that was a, well, that was, that was a domination. We've got that Pete DeBoer clip on what he thought about it, but, uh, the, you know, into the second period, uh, that was a, that was a, uh, that was a impressive game by the Colorado Avalanche. Here is Pete DeBoer and what he thought of the game. You know, even after the first period, it was a little bit of uh, uh, a mirage where we were at. I didn't, I didn't like uh, our game even in the first, even though we were up. And uh, you know, got a good old-fashioned ass kicking tonight. So the Golden Knights. What I feel like after that's what we feel like after every show. Wow. The the Golden Knights got outshot thirty-two to eighteen in that game. Um, through two periods, Colorado's expected goals was 80% and their Corsi was 70%. Um, the Golden Knights got dominated and to the point where that was supposed to be like two cup contenders in the West and the Avalanche made the Golden Knights look like they're the Kings or the Sharks or something like that. Like, uh, do you hold on. So- Don't be comparing the Kings to no. the Sharks. Yeah, no. eh, not in the playoffs. Um, do you remember <laughs> just yesterday we talked about that Sinbin story that was calling about that Tyler that was calling the Western Division a mid-major conference? Yeah, it was the uh, it was the WCC yesterday. Yeah, so after yesterday, it's like the Avalanche or Gonzaga, the Gold Knights yes. or BYU, and yes. everybody else sucks. Like that's, and everyone that's, else is loyal to Marymount. Yes, right. That's that's what it looked like yesterday. Now. They're going to play Colorado again on Saturday. Maybe and they win, win for nothing. Right. And completely change <laughs> yes. the narrative. But yeah. I, I will say this. They have played Colorado five times now this season. Yeah. And they've won two of them. But even in that first win over Colorado, everybody kind of walked away thinking, eh, the Avalanche played a little bit better. Marc-Andre Fleury just stole one because he had a shutout and was phenomenal. So when they played those four earlier in the year, the first three, like everyone walked away thinking Colorado's better than Vegas. Now the Golden Knights won that. the fourth one and sort of corrected that narrative. But now they've played five, and I think you can say the Avalanche have been the better team in four of those five games. And so 
we'll see what happens when they play on Saturday. They'll have two more against the Avalanche before the season ends. But I here here's my like big picture question on the on the Golden Knights. Does that performance last night, and if we see anything similar on Saturday, does that push the Golden Knights into being more aggressive at the trade deadline? Does George McPhee, does Kelly McCrimmon sit back and see that and say, wow, we are not going to beat that team in a playoff series. We have got to make some sort of changes before the trade deadline to have a chance. Yeah, I think you uh, I, I think you hit it on the head with, let's see what happens tomorrow, because if they win 3-0, it's very easy for those two at the top to – you know, uh, watch last night, but then if they come back and win and play really well, it's like, oh, well, you know, you just had a bad game. And, you know, uh, Millsy, Millsy was talking about it after the game in terms of, you know, with, with Mike that, you know, sometimes you just have a horrible game. That happens in a long season. So now if it happens back-to-back on Saturday, and some of the numbers they were throwing out last night about the Avalanche in their last 12 games or 10 games at home or, you know, outscoring opponents, this is the Colorado everyone thought was at the beginning of the year. This was the team that really I think a lot of people thought was better than Vegas going into the season. So it might be that this is what's happened now. They have become that team, and it's for the Golden Knights. You have to look at last night and say, well, that can't uh, that can't be good if they continue to play that way. So, yeah, I think if they come out tomorrow and lose again and it's kind of a domination, then I don't know if you make a move, but you're probably, like you said, looking at each other in a room saying, okay, can we really beat them in a best of seven if they're going to play like that? And if we don't think we can, then where do we need to improve? And we've said it, you know, for a long time now, you need more depth, at, you know, at the forward positions, you need more depth. So, yeah, I think a lot depends on tomorrow. Let's see how they respond. But if it's like, I don't know, it's not going to be like last night on Saturday. They're not, that that's not going to happen. But if they, if the Colorado wins and they play a lot better then yeah, probably secretly they're like, yeah, what do we do here? A guy who works for Fantrax, and I can't remember his name, but he tweeted out last night that when the Avalanche third and fourth lines were on the ice, they outshot the Golden Knights 17-2. to Their thir- third and fourth lines. This is not Nathan McKinnon. This is Pierre-Edouard Belmar's on the ice. They outshot the Golden Knights 17-2 to when their third and fourth lines were on the ice. Meanwhile... The Golden Knights' fourth line is basically useless. Like, Ryan Reeves and Will Carrier have not done anything this entire season. And outside of Alex Tuck, the third liners have been a random assortment of Cody Glass, Nick Waugh, Tomas Nosek, Keegan Kolasar, and they haven't really produced much either. It's been Alex Tuck or nothing on that line. So when you play this Avalanche team, and they have a third and fourth line that actually creates offense, right? That's going to be like impossible for the Golden Knights to beat in a series unless they have a third and or fourth line that can also create some offense. Because you're, listen, McKinnon, like when they play McKinnon, Renton, and Landeskog together, you're, as the Golden Knights, your hope is that Mark Stone's line can sort of play them even. And right, if Mark right. Stone's line is playing them even, the only way to win is to beat them with the rest of your lines. And right now, there's there's no way to envision the third and fourth line of the Golden Knights beating the third and fourth line of the Colorado Avalanche. And so that's where I think a trade would have to come in. And again, it all goes back to the offseason and having two goalies on this team for a total of $12 million against the salary cap. The best thing this team could do right now is trade one of those goalies because what's going to help them in a playoff series more? A five or seven million dollar goalie on the bench, or a five or seven million dollar winger for their third line, or center for their third line, mm. right? It's obviously well, not the, the goalie sitting on the bench, no. right? No. So, like, and again, it's the trade deadline. It's not like you can just go pluck out a five or seven million dollar forward and plug them in, and you're good to go. It's you know more difficult than that. But 
if possible, they should be trying to trade one of these two goalies to get a, another forward for this team because they, they they look like a massive mismatch against the Colorado Avalanche. And Robin Leonard, $5 million, he's on the bench last night. There's nothing he can do to help this team win. Yeah, I, I'm not saying I disagree with you. I just don't think they'll move one of the goalies. I think that they like that whole uh, kind of mantra of they have this depth at goalie and they, you know, what we heard in the bubble last year, we've got two number one goalies, even though one guy emerged as the number one and the other one sat most of the time. Um, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just, from what they've said in the past, I don't think they'd move a goalie. I'm not saying they're not going to make a move or try to make a move. I would just be shocked it's Leonard or Flurry at this point, and they're going to ride those guys out this year and make a move in the offseason, which we all thought they should have done last offseason, given uh, given Flurry's contract and what they had committed to. Now, he's played really, really well. You have to give him credit for that. Um, but I don't think they'll move a goalie. And the other thing, like you said, I, I'm not going to pretend to know who's going to be available at the trade line or what their salary would be, um, but there has to be people out there that would bolster those third, one of the third or fourth lines. I mean, uh, it has to be because of, like you said, what they've been given, especially from the fourth line. Um, so I think that, you know, that he always look, he's always made a move at the deadline. Now, I don't know if he's going to make some, you know, a huge move like he's done in the past with big time names, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's comparable to say you watched last night and I'm sure, you know, he has some, you know, in terms of McPhee, he has some concerns when you see that, when you see Colorado's defense, and how aggressive they are, and how they can turn things. And let's be honest, every, you know the Golden Knights last night did everything you can't do in terms of turning over the puck against that team. You, you, you just can't do that. And, and Stone said that afterwards. You have no chance. You have no chance if you're going to sit there turning the, turning the puck over, especially as good as Colorado is defensively. You have no chance. So tomorrow I'm sure they'll clean that up. Um, I thought the guys after the show made a good point in terms this will be very structured practice today and the work on system and you know you just what you can't do against this team. Now, if they do that though, and they come out tomorrow, and it's another four-one kind of like, boy, you weren't even in that game, then you got You have to start thinking because this is going to be the matchup. Marshall saw said it yesterday. If they want to win the cup, these two are going through each other. Like that's going to happen. So you have to take these teams and say, how do we match up with these guys? Not how you match up with the Wild or anyone else. How do you match up specifically with these guys? And so far, Colorado's the better team. The one game where the Golden Knights have matched up well and, and looked like the better team was the fourth game they played of those four in a row. And if you remember, that was the game that Pete DeBoer had different lines for. He mixed up his top lines so that he could have more depth down the lineup. So the first line, Alex Tuck played with Stone and Stevenson. Pacioretty was on a line with Glass and Riley Smith. And the third line had Jonathan Marchessault and William Carlson along with Nick Waugh. So the Golden Knights normally, they try to make their two best lines, and then mm -hmm. the third and fourth mm -hmm. lines just sort of exist. But that fourth game against Colorado, they tried to make three good lines, and they won the game, and that was the best they looked against Colorado. I'm curious, A, why Pete DeVore didn't do that last night, but B, more importantly, will he do that on Saturday? Will he change the lines on Saturday so that we see that, you know, more depth, not as top-heavy, more depth lineup because they've gotten beat so badly in the depth. I don't know if Cody Glass needs to be in the lineup for that to happen, uh, but at some point, I think that's that's proving to be an issue is the depth against Colorado, but we saw them fix it for one game earlier when he mixed the lines up. Yeah, let me ask you this, because everything's so... There's a lot of mental edges to these things. Um, 
I want to ask you this, just thinking about what you just said, because it's a long season. They still have a lot of games to go and all that. And, you know, the Knights have a game in hand. They're tied. Whatever. I mean, I'm sure they're you know still feeling pretty good about their position. But let's say tomorrow he does that. Let's say he starts, you know, we get to 76 tweets about who's in the starting lineup, and we understand that he switched up the lines, and they get dominated. That's Isn't that really bad for you mentally? It's like, okay, we had to change this off one game, and, and Colorado obviously would know that, and we had to mix these things up, and we still get beat really bad. How much of an effect do you think that could have on both teams? If you're Colorado, you're like, well, go ahead and switch them up because we're still better. And if you're the Knights, you're like, boy. We switched them up. We still didn't. Now, they could switch them up and win the game and really feel good about themselves. But is that a chance you take just for one game coming off your worst performance of the year? Well, I think if that were to happen, you basically solidify that you have to make a trade. Like, mm-hmm. if they if they yeah. change the lines up, get dominated again, and if the players are looking around saying, what are we supposed to do to beat this team? That's when, I think, as a front office, you, you have to make a trade because you have to walk in there and say, okay, you, we're, we're getting you somebody. We're getting you something that's going to help here. So if, if that happens, if they change the lines up, they lose four to one or something like that again. And it's just, compl- I mean, you can lose four to one and not be completely dominated, right, but exactly. if they, get, yes, if yes. they get completely dominated and it's a four, one loss again, then yeah, I think that spurs the, the front office to hey, say, Hey, you guys, you guys need to do something because as we're currently constructed, it's not going well against Colorado. And that's who we're going to have to beat at some point to get to the final four. And then ultimately win a Stanley cup. All right, coming up next. The Raiders really, really don't want to bring in any secondary help this year, but they've got another wide receiver. Honestly, like I, I just feel like ever since I left, nothing has gone right for me. I've, I've been experiencing little small nagging injuries. I've had to experience a lot of time without ball. I wasn't really um, feeling the place of work, I guess you could say. No hard feelings to them or anything, but it just, I guess you could just say it wasn't a good fit. I needed to, I, I felt like I wanted to be back somewhere or where I, I guess you could say, I, I, I've won a lot of jerseys in my life, but I've never been more proud to honestly been to when I put on a Patriots jersey. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Trent Brown, proud to put on a Patriots jersey. And do you think the Raiders are actually going to sign another defensive player this offseason? Absolutely. May 1st, when the draft is over, uh, they will be calling the fourth round, fourth round picks agent and saying uh, there is immediate starting uh, opportunity. Let's get a deal done. You're going to be a special teamer. We loved what you did at Clemson. <laughs> yes. So, Is your name Raiders, Tanner? <laughs> the Raiders have re-signed a couple of guys to play in the secondary, like a Nevin Lawson type. But... Yeah. In reality, those should be, you know, your your backups. Those should be depth players for the team. They haven't actually upgraded anybody in their secondary. They've actually let guys go like LaMarcus Joyner without replacing them yet. As it stands right now, Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett would be the starting cornerbacks. Um, Jeff Heath and Jonathan Abram would be the starting safeties and Nevin Lawson, I guess, would be the starting slot corner at the moment. I don't know if you want more than one of those guys actually starting once the season gets here, but we bring that up because report yesterday from Adam Schefter is that the Raiders are bringing in Willie Sneed for a visit. If you don't know who Willie Sneed is, he is not a cornerback or a safety. He's a wide receiver. He's a veteran injured wide receiver. So a guy who gets hurt a lot. 
So this is the guy you want to bring in now because uh, uh, Rugs and Edwards needs need some competition. So uh, Willie's going to come in and uh, you know uh, pass all tests and uh, make the team. I I think you're missing one thing though. I will say during the break, um, and you know uh, I always look out for character guys. Uh, what about Marshawn Lattimore? He was just arrested in Cleveland by gang investigators for receiving stolen property. So maybe at this point, Sean Payton says, eh, I don't know if it's worth it. Johnny, what do you think? You got any DBs? Wait a minute. What happened to Marshawn Lattimore? Did that just, was just break? Yes, he was just arrested oh. in Cleveland by gang investigators for receiving stolen property. Charges have not been uh, assessed, but he was arrested. Like, I, I Look. I'm just looking out. I'm, I'm just looking out for anybody that possibly might be on the trade block today. I mean, <laughs> there was there has been people who have gone to the Hall of Fame who were investigated for gang related. Yes, all darn right. You're and darn right. none of us are going to mention the name, you know, no. Blarvin Marison. Yeah. Uh, no. So I don't I don't know what they're doing. I hope they have a plan. I for their, their sake, I would guess there's some plan in place. But you know, and you know, I see some tweets last night like "Stop overreacting." The draft and who can come in, you know, uh, who can come in late on free agency, and maybe that's true. But are the, you know, are these guys just going to be like I don't know, training camp fodder? I mean, you know, who are you getting at LA? Anyone can look at who's still available free agency. Obviously, now that doesn't mean you can't trade for somebody. That can always happen, but. Yeah, it just is very bizarre that one of the biggest needs by far in that team seems not to have been addressed at all yet. So, yeah, yeah I'm kind of as perplexed as you are in terms of what's the plan there? We got to get him out of the lab. <laughs> he's stuck. Did the door what if he's lock still behind stuck? What if, like, someone locked the door and they still haven't been out to Anderson because, you know, they don't want to get COVID or anything, so this guy's still locked in the He lab. got locked inside yes. the practice facility. <laughs> Yeah. And hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. I, I this is just a very tiny story. I was doing JT the Brick show, and he genuinely told me that he did a show from the practice facility, walked outside, and realized, oh, they locked me in here. Yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Wow. How'd he get out? He's JT the Brick. He called somebody. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah. He, he's got more juice than Gus Bradley. Bradley's been in there for like two months now. Yeah, he just keeps calling Mark Davis. Mark Davis is like, Ooh. That's not Asia Wilson. <laughs> so even if you look at who's still left in the secondary, like the biggest name is Richard Sherman. Right, but after right, that, right. like, uh, Janoris Jenkins is a cornerback that's out there. Um, like, I, it's not like there's great names. Like, you get down to, like, Brian Poole, a cornerback from the Jets last year, and Kareem Jackson, a safety from the Broncos who converted to safety. Like, Xavier Woods from the Cowboys who played safety. Like, it's it, – there's, like, one or two names that you'd actually be excited about, and the rest of them are like, oh, Okay, is he better than than no. Jeff Heath? Like Listen, maybe a little bit. As a huge Cowboys fan, uh, just on their defense, please stay away from Xavier Woods because <laughs> if you get anyone off that defense, it's, it's probably not going to be good. They've already got one person off that defense from a couple years ago. He's starting as we speak. Is Brandon Browner out of prison yet? No, oh, we got to find those guys. Yes, I I, I do want to say on Willie Sneed. I do actually like the idea of Willie Snead as a cheap wide receiver because he did, if you go back a few years, he did have 800, 900-yard seasons when he was with the Saints. 
He's been injured. He went to Baltimore. Baltimore's not a great passing offense. He hasn't had a great, I think, last three seasons it's been. But, like, if you're telling me Willie Sneed signing for, like, a million bucks like Nelson Aguilar did last year, I to me, that that's a, that's a good signing because he can probably still play in the NFL. And right now, the Raiders are counting on Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards to be good. And I, I it's fair to question if they will be. Henry Ruggs wasn't very good last year. Brian Edwards was barely used. So... I think it's fair to question how good those two are, and Willie Sneed would give you a little bit of cover in case one of them or both of them isn't any good. Yeah, I mean, look, we've said it along when free agency started. There were the big, big-time guys out there, and some of them got tagged, so you never had an opportunity to go after them. But we've said it often. If you weren't going to get one of those guys, then get a guy like Aguilar where you don't take up a lot of cap space, but you do need depth and maybe a guy who can come in and challenge to be better than the people you have or at least, like I said, be a three. So... Yeah, I mean, I guess Willie Sneed, you, the only thing I want to know about Willie Sneed is, like you said, how much are you paying him? I mean, don't be outrageous with him, and he'd be fine, because we've said they need another receiver. I mean, that that's obvious. It's just, again, it's just I think a lot of Raider fans continue to see transactions or who's in visiting, and there's no corners or safeties. So I think <laughs> I don't think it's more, like I don't think it's anti-Willie Sneed, depending on how much you pay for him. I think it's more interested in what's the plan in the secondary. Like, like yeah. what's your plan here? There's got to be a plan. So what is it? They can't. They can't possibly draft another corner or safety and plug them in, right? I don't like, know. I've got to see who. I got to see who Clemson and Ohio State have available. Jonathan <laughs> Joseph is available and 37 years old. <laughs> like this team right now is planning to play a three-year player at corner, a second-year player at corner, a second-year player at safety. And we're not sure if any of them are any good. There's no way your your fix to the secondary can be. Ah, we got another rookie safety to come in and help the okay. the second and third year guys out. He's going to be so, a leader. So of all your all the guys you mentioned, right? Uh, Mullen, Ar uh, Arnett, Abrams, Heath, uh, Lawson. Of those guys, if you said, okay, who do you want to start? Who should start? I got to be honest with you. I'd probably say Trayvon Mullen and not the rest. Heath. Oh yeah. You should, I, I mean, that I, would if you have to pick one guy of the group you said, Tyler, that has to be the guy. Yeah, it's Mullen, and Jeff Heath might honestly be number two. Maybe. Right? Yeah, Jeff he'd Heath be number two off, because, you know, yeah, exactly. He, he knows how to play. Mahomes. Yeah. He had an yes. interception against Mahomes starting. Yes. Like, but that's it. I, I mean, I don't think you really want Abram starting. Arnett was bad last year, too. There's no reason to look at those two and say, hey, they got to be starters for you. But right yeah. now, they're the second and third best. Well, defense. if we're comparing, Heath picked off Mahomes, and Jonathan Abram ran straight towards Mahomes when he should have been covering on the back end. <laughs> as Travis Kelsey ran past him. All right, coming up next, Austin Gale joins the show. Oh, yeah. No, I, was, I, I love Brock, man. I mean, I, I know how that I'm sorry, excuse me. I know how that stuff goes on those uh, TMZ interviews, and uh, it, it's, sometimes that happens. But th that guy, he's my guy. I love Brock, and... He, he reached out to me very quickly after that, and uh, no ill will. We're all, we're all good, and uh, move forward. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter, at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. We don't have Austin Gale just yet, but we will soon. And we'll figure out, we'll figure out who Austin Gale thinks is uh, anybody worth signing at cornerback and safety for the Raiders, or if Willie Sneed can just convert over there and play corner how many, and safety. How many guys have they signed in this free agency period where we're wondering if they can actually make the switch? 
like the Joker, <laughs> like Willie Sneed, like everyone they sound like, can that guy play safety too? I'm like, that's how that's how weird it is right now. We're trying to convert everyone on offense over to defense. I mean, right now, if you looked at the roster and the free agent signings, you'd be thinking, oh, yes, they they want Marcus Mariota to play safety. Oh, yes. Kenyon Drake is lining Joker up. Joker is a quarterback. Corner. Yeah, like that's what you would expect their plan to be based on free agency so far. And if listen, if they get to the draft and they still haven't signed anyone to play one of those positions, I, I think it might be a fair question to John Gruden and Mike Mayock, like uh, Kenyon Drake, is he playing corner for you this year? Oh. Ruben had that availability since free free agents started, so that will be interesting uh, if they don't sign these secondary people to ask the uh, question. And my guess is the answer will be we have a plan. We have a plan plan in place. There is a plan in place. Yeah, I mean, and there might be. Yeah, maybe 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 Sherman wants too much money right now. I don't know, but. My God, you got to just bring in at least somebody in the secondary. So joining us now is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Uh, Austin, uh, I, we don't know if the Raiders are ever going to sign a cornerback or a safety this offseason, but if they do, are there any good ones left besides Richard Sherman? I don't think so. I mean, this is a tough situation. <laughs> I think, you know, I thought they were going to jump at Adoree Jackson, Malcolm Butler, Demonte Casey, Keanu Neal, Eric Harris. You know, Anthony, Anthony Harris signed for $5 million. Like, Anthony Harris is one of the best free safeties in the NFL, in my opinion. He's graded really well according to PFF standards. And $5 million. John Johnson, $11.1 million. That's more, you know, that's cheaper than the highest paid center in the NFL. That's cheaper than Trey Hendrickson in Cincinnati signing at $15 million per year. It's a cheap position to go get talent at it. And I don't think you want to bring in a rookie specifically one that you have to spend a top 50, top 100 pick on to work with Jonathan Abrams on the back end of Gus Bradley's defense. Gus Bradley leaves his deep safety on an island. He plays a ton of single high looks. He's going to stuff Jonathan Abrams into the box where he should play. And if the pass rush doesn't hit home and you don't have an experienced safety, things are going to look pretty bleak. I mean, I think they could pursue a Trey Boston, who I think is still available. But even then, you're, you're looking at retreads here. It's going to be a tough situation. Maybe they like Jeff Heath. Who knows? Well, after after that answer, I'm pretty sure now we're right all along, and Kenyon Drake is playing safety. So that that was pretty that was pretty depressing. Um, so so it's interesting that you say that, Austin, because I think you know we've still got Gus Bradley locked inside the lab and can't get out uh, to scream at people for his defense. But go t- go over that a little more in depth in terms of it, they might really be in trouble just because of the scheme he plays. I, I didn't really think in those terms. Not that they haven't. I mean, they haven't signed any secondary players, but this might really hurt them just for who they signed as defensive coordinator if they don't get this fixed. One hundred percent. I mean, Gus Bradley over the past five years has split at the lowest rate of any defensive coordinator in the NFL. Sixteen percent. He wins with a pass rush up front. You saw that with the Legion of Boom. You saw that with the Los Angeles Chargers, with Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa. He wins with a pass rush up front. The Raiders don't have that. He also wins with a versatile safety that can play in the box, play deep, play in the slot. Jonathan Abrams hasn't been that yet. He also wins with a very talented deep safety that can roam the field in single high looks, running a ton of cover one and cover three. The Raiders don't have that. It's a bad situation. They added Unique and Gakwe to improve the pass rush, but I don't think that's enough. You're still going to need them to have a lot, add a lot more talent in this class. And what sucks, They've invested a ton in the secondary. Damon Arnett, Trayvon Mullen, Jonathan Abrams, and it just has LaMarcus Joyner, if you want to throw dollar figures in terms of investment out, and it just hasn't panned out. Malik Collins, no. Reese Hurst, not, you know, is probably the best player on that defensive line, and he was drafted in the fifth round. Cleveland Furl 
likely gets kicked inside, no longer playing edge with Sinek Ngakwe and Max Crosby, Crosby running the edges. This is not a talented defense. Ghost Bradley has his hands tied. I mean, this is going to be a very difficult season for him if they don't add legitimate talent. And Reigns has already passed. You're, you're picking up veteran retreads at this point. And in the draft, you could spend every pick on the defensive, on the defensive side of the ball, and then you're going to roll in with a very you know, bad offensive line. But still, there's a lot of holes offensively as well. Well, what excuse would John Gruden use throughout the season if he doesn't get to say his defense is too young? <laughs> That's very true. The defense is very young. And right now, you look at the starting outside cornerbacks, it's going to be Damon Arnett and Trayvon Mullen, the second-year and third-year corner that both of those guys haven't had a ton of success. And both, you know, Damon Arnett specifically has battled injuries. So has Jonathan Abram, who last year was largely his rookie season after missing a bulk majority of his actual rookie season with the shoulder injury. You have a young defense in the secondary, a count, a, a Young pass rush up front with Cleveland Furl, Arden Key, Max Crosby, and then the veteran Yannick Ngakwe. It's a scary unit back there, man. It's a defense that's going to need a lot of work. Hopefully Gus Bradley can bring it to him, though. Austin, if we look at some of the quarterbacks that have signed or re-signed this year, like Andy Dalton or Cam Newton or Ryan Fitzpatrick, I'm curious where you would fit Marcus Mariota in terms of, is he better than all of them? Like, how, how good is Mariota compared to the guys that signed for pretty cheap contracts? I think Marcus Mariota is a top 32 quarterback in the NFL. I think he deserves a starting spot in the NFL. The problem is, is you don't want to be the team starting him because he's not a top 20, he's not a top 15, he's not a top 12 quarterback. And when you're starting a quarterback that's in that 20 to 32 range, you put yourself in a situation where you're leaning on defense and you're leaning on you know special teams to try and win football games, and that's very difficult to do. You saw Nick Saban, head coach of Alabama today, talk about how much the game has changed. You can no longer win in college football or in the NFL with good special teams, a good running game, and a defense. You need to throw the football. You need to score. And Marcus Mariota, while talented and while starting caliber, is not a quarterback that elevates his supporting cast that can be a top 10, top 5 quarterback in the NFL. Very good backup can start in a pinch. You don't want to be the team that's starting Marcus Mariota, just like you don't want to be the team that's starting Andy Dalton or Ryan Fitzpatrick. <laughs> you know, those are bad situations at the quarterback position. There have been... Well, various reports, but more on the on this side than not. For a backup quarterback, and maybe uh, Tyler made a good point yesterday, maybe it's just because Gruden knows he's never going to trade him because he wants him, and, you know, if Carr goes down. Were you surprised if it's true that they gave Mariota no trade? Not really. I mean, I think they really like Marcus Mariota, and I think they fully understand that having a capable backup to start, say, a series of, you know, between two to six games if Derek Carr does get hurt is very valuable. And I think you go, you're, and with what they're paying him, I think it's an easy win. I thought he was going to leave elsewhere when they asked him to take a pay cut, come down from that $10 million mark. They're like, what, three and a half is what it was? I thought he was going to opt out of that and they were going to have to release him. He stays put in Las Vegas as a very good backup quarterback job. And Derek Carr, obviously, you hope plays all 16 games. But if he doesn't, I really like what they have on, on the bench. If you're the Chicago Bears, would you rather be paying Andy Dalton $10 million to be your starter or would you rather have Nathan Peterman for $1 million to be your starter? Andy Dalton, come on. You can't get Nathan <laughs> Peterman stuff on the show. I mean, the, the problem is, is that the Chicago Bears are in a really bad spot. You know, they bring in, tra- you know, they trade for Nick Foles, and he's obviously not the guy. Now they're signing. They could have had Andy Dalton for cheaper last year. They ended up signing him for more money to be the starter there in Chicago. And, you know, what's interesting about the Chicago Bears roster building situation this offseason, you saw that they were interested in Trent Williams. They were interested in Kenny Galladay. They were interested in, you know, the tag Allen Robinson. They're trying to make a lot of short term aggressive decisions at certain positions to get better, to kind of save their jobs, you know, save Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy's job. But the problem is, is 
the quarterback position. You know, you you went all in. You pushed all of your chips in, and what you had, you know, what you had as cards was Mitch Trubisky, and that didn't work. And now you're in a situation where you're trying to push. All, you keep you you have all your chips in. You're trying to build this team with an Andy Dalton. Maybe go get Trent Williams. Try and find some ways to make it happen. It's just not going to really work. This whole thing in Chicago probably needs to blow up sooner rather than later. Do you feel bad? Uh, for we're Alan wondering. Yeah. Well, we're, we're wondering also on uh, – they, they, they had Willie Sneed in, and we said all along if you couldn't get one of the top several you know wide receivers who weren't tagged or whatever, go get someone at a cheap rate. And, you know, like we said before, if it's a million, that's fine. But Willie Sneed, were you surprised at him? Would you take him on a low-end low rate because they need someone for depth? What in the hell are you doing bringing in Willie Sneed <laughs> as a Las Vegas Raiders team? You have I guess a not. Slot receiver in Hunter Renfro. You have a rookie receiver or second-year receiver in Henry Ruggs. You have a second-year receiver in Brian Edwards, and then obviously you have John Brown. Adding depth, a veteran depth piece is great. But what does that do for you at the receiving position? We see so often now that rookies, young players, are having success early in their careers. It's an early breakout age at running back and at wide receiver. Go develop players. Every snap you would give to Willie Sneed, give to Brian Edwards. Every snap you would give to Willie Steve, to Brian Edwards or Henry Ruggs, you need to develop the talent you just drafted. We just saw what they're doing now with, I mean, why didn't Foster Moreau see the field last year? Because they had Jason Witten, who's now coaching high school football on the team. That's a disaster. You draft these players to develop them. If they don't see the football field, that's on you. Don't bring in a Jason Witten. Don't bring in a Willie Steve. Willie Steve gives me Seth Roberts vibes. Develop your young talent. That's what you need to do on, the, on this team. Poor Foster Moreau. Who do you feel worse for, Foster Moreau or Allen Robinson? <laughs> Probably Allen Robinson. That guy has had been through a ringer, man. I mean, even in college, Matt McGloin, Christian Hackenberg, <laughs> NFL, Blake Portal, Mitch Trubisky. I mean, it's been a very difficult time for Allen. Nick Foles, difficult time catching the football for Allen Robinson. What is the likelihood that Nick Foles turns into, like, a Ryan Fitzpatrick type in his later years? Zero. Ryan Fitzpatrick is a one of one. Okay, Nick Foles is like not a roller coaster type quarterback. He's very consistently average. He did have that shoot the moon season with the Philadelphia Eagles where everything mediocre. hit right. <laughs> he did have that kind of shoot the moon season in the Super Bowl, but I think that was one of the best supporting casts we've ever seen on a Philadelphia Eagles team that has the best offensive line, that had the best defensive line, a good secondary, and all those things. I don't think Nick Foles will be that Ryan Fitzpatrick type because Ryan Fitzpatrick throws YOLO balls. Ryan Fitzpatrick takes risks. And we don't have to tell Raiders fans that after seeing that Miami Dolphins game that was Austin Fox and they came back and won that one. Uh, Austin, I did want to ask you, you guys have uh, your war metric up to measure how much better teams get during the offseason. Right now in free agency, is it sort of fool's gold to be the team that's gotten better in free agency? I think it depends. You know, with the New England Patriots right now, I think according to that war improvement index, they are the most improved team. But they paid to do it. You know, they paid over $135 million in guaranteed money this offseason, the second most we've seen any team ever do in the history of the NFL. They paid a lot of money to be the most improved team. You kind of put, again, it's the kind of same of that poker reference. You push all your chips in, it's better work. You know, you have a lot of money on the books now with the players you brought in with Hunter Henry, John Smith. And you look at some other teams that have improved a ton this offseason, Washington football team with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Curtis Samuel, uh, William Jackson III. You look at the Jets have done with Carl Lawson, Sheldon Rankin. Uh, I think you, uh, Jared Davis, like there's teams that spent money and added players in the offseason. Being the most improved team, though, in order to do that, you also have to be pretty bad. You know, to be with the most, <laughs> one of the most improved teams, you have to be pretty bad in the season prior. So do you want to see teams improve in the offseason? Absolutely. But it all doesn't matter 
really, unless you kind of can put all things together with the money you spent. He is Austin Gale. Again, follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Austin Gale. Austin, thank you as always. Thanks, Austin. Of course, thank you. So we need uh, uh, Derek Carr throwing more YOLO balls. Oh, my God. He would be a top, like, five quarterback if he was just, like, once a game, like, all right, screw it. Let me throw this beautiful deep ball and hope to God someone runs under it. Henry Ruggs is fast. Yeah, I mean, and if he gets both feet in bounds, that'd be great. Uh, that is a problem. He did it against the Jets, though. You got you to gotta lead him back into the field of play so he doesn't have any chance to go out of bounds. <laughs> I like like uh, I I like how Austin really skirted and played both sides. Why in the hell are you bringing in Willie Sneed? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> uh, no, Willie what's Sneed. bad? What's Free bad? Safety. He's going to be Willie Sneed is going to be the Nelly of this uh, <laughs> of this season. Yes, <laughs> and we're still going to be looking and around then, saying, "Well, they need a better wide receiver." And, than and Willie next Sneed. year he'll be playing on a different team for yeah, a better right. contract. All right, coming up next, Trevor Bauer's a cheater. Yeah, duh. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas, 1100 AM and 100.9 FM. Cheaters in baseball are going down, Ed. They're all going down. So Major League Baseball is apparently uh, going to try to crack down on pitchers using foreign substances to get a better grip on balls this year. And they're going to use StatCast data. Uh, if you watch baseball, they you'll see uh, in broadcast quite frequently StatCast data. But one of them is spin rate. That's become one of the, the biggest stats for pitchers right now is your spin rate. How quickly does it rotate? Once you throw it and Major League Baseball, when they suspect a pitcher is using a foreign substance, they're going to compare their spin rate and see if it has taken a noticeable jump. Because if you have a better grip, if you're using a foreign substance, that's generally what seems to be the consensus is that your spin rate will increase. Now, what's interesting about this is we've had multiple people. Trevor Bauer said it a couple of years ago. We had the... uh, Angels grounds crew guy who got in trouble. Multiple people have said that at least 70, 75% of pitchers in baseball are using illegal substances. So I'm fascinated to see how serious Major League Baseball is about this and how they actually go about saying, well, your spin rate has improved way too much. You must be cheating. Yeah, first of all, thanks to the Astros, because once they cheated, now they're looking at everything, even things over the years that have been gentlemen's agreements, and nobody cares about it. If they cared about it this much, the, hitter, the hitters like would actually... You stealing? Yeah, the, yeah exactly. Sign stealing sign has been stealing, a gentleman's like agreement. Yeah. I mean, yeah, sign stealing, things like that. Uh, yeah, and so Tony this has been a gentleman's Tony was stealing signs uh, with the camera before asterisk. the Astros. Well, asterisk. Uh, asterisk. Asterisk. Yes. Um, so, I... Okay, whatever. Oh, if they're going to do this, that's fine. But in reading story, the only thing I thought of is exactly what you're thinking. I, I thought of it right when I saw the headline. How are you going to do this? Like, how are you going to track this? Um, so you're going to say, let's take – I won't even take Trevor Bauer. I mean, he's too good. Let's take, like, a young pitcher who's kind of improving each year, right? So I don't know analytically what they say in terms of how much a person's spin rate can improve year to year as he, you know, becomes older in the league and pitches more seasons in the major leagues. So maybe you can answer this. How do you how do you differentiate between a guy just gets better each year to oh he must be doctoring the ball because his spin rate is this much more percentage than last year? 
I don't know how they're going to track this. Are they going to, you know, toss more balls in, in, into the dugout and have them have them examined? I mean, you're, what if a guy literally? What if a guy is not doing this and he's just getting better every year? And you're like, well, your spin rate jumped. You can't. You must be cheating. I, well, I still don't know how they're going to like figure this out. Well, it's a good thing you asked because Trevor Bauer is the perfect example. Uh, the defector wrote a story on Trevor Bauer and how he's probably cheating because. <laughs> yeah. Back in 2019, Trevor Bauer's uh, average spin rate jumped by 400 RPM in one month. Like, this wasn't Jeez. a gradual increase. This wasn't, he got better. It just, all of a sudden in September, his his spin rate was 400 RPM better. And to give you context on that, his original RPM was 2,300. That is an average RPM for, for fastballs in baseball. He jumped up to 27, almost to 2,800 which gave him the best spin rate of any fastball in Major League Baseball. So Bauer went from average to best in the sport in one month. All right. And Whatever. that's what also, they're going he also to be pitches, at. He also pitches with his eyes closed. I'll give him the spin rate yeah, cheating. He hit a guy when he I did mean, that. If you, you, you can that's... cheat as much as you want if you close Ed. your eyes. So you know what? <laughs> give me a break. Ed, can I ask you a question that Tyler's not going to understand the reference? Okay. What if you what if you put some you know like jalapeno up your nose and so you're you're just loading the ball with snot? That would be exactly like stealing signs. I think that's okay. I think that's fine. I think you shove it up, shove it in, shove it in, shove it in. Oh lord. So, but that that's what they're going to be looking for is the guy who suddenly in September. His RPM is goes from average he to just best has a runny nose. Yeah. yeah right. So and so, what do you? For, so in September, you're gonna finally catch up with the guy. You're gonna finally catch no. up with the guy in September and like discipline him. Then what are you gonna do? Well, no. If it happens in May, you discipline him in May. But and it's also the way it's written. This is not the only evidence they're gonna have. This is like they're not just gonna see guys' spin rate go up and say you're suspended. They're going to like actually do an investigation into it. But I do want to give you this on Trevor Bauer, by the way, Ed. Nine seasons in Major League Baseball, his ERA has been over four in seven of those seasons. And the only time his ERA was under two was last season when he was cheating. He Shove it in. <laughs>